We have uh, a little joke of the week we want you to look at. A wife said to her husband, hey, you there behind the paper at breakfast, she said, uh, you know what day it is today. He said, sure I do. I do. Laid the paper down and ran off to work. Early morning she received all kinds of flowers. You reading it? Middle afternoon she got a box of five pound box of candy. That Andy took her to dinner and she looked across the table and said, darling, I want you to know you gave me the best groundhog's day I've ever had. <laughs> so you women, all you have to do is ask your husband any day. It doesn't make any difference. Do you know what day it is? We're going to run out and buy candy. <laughs> okay. Let's ask you the next one. Here's a trivia question. Trivia question of the week. Hi, Bill. Trivia question of the week. Which of the following are things that Paul told the Philippians to meditate on? Whatever things are true, whatever things are just, whatever things are heavenly, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are low in cholesterol. Huh? Which ones did they did Paul tell them to think upon? How many? Alright. How many of them up there? Anybody know? Whichever things are what? True. Whichever things are what? Just. Those are the two things that he told him to, and whatever things are lovely. Okay. Whatever things are lovely. I miss lovely. <laughs> yeah, okay. Whatever things are lovely. So that, that gets us uh, into the study today. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit again. Well, what a wonderful study. I tell you, it's just great when we have uh, uh, things to, to, to talk about. Uh, the dove is a, a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. At times, water is a sign or symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we uh, we still practice in our home anointing people with oil. In fact, my family, both parts of my family, anointed me this week with oil uh, because we just believe in it. We believe, we believe if we're going to honor God, we honor God's Word, and God's going to honor us for honoring His Word. So we, uh, we pray and we anoint each other in the Holy Spirit and ask God to bless us. Now, well, the reason we're having a study on the Holy Spirit is the fact that we want to get people to realize that the Holy Spirit is not an it. Now, then, now I, I want to make it crystal clear that we have a large segment of our religious society that believes in a second work of grace or a special work of grace, and they believe in a special language that they speak. We're not downgrading them. God bless those people. They're wonderful people. And they are going to be in heaven with us. So we may as well love them here because we're going to be there with them. And they're nice people. They're God. They're safe. Born again people. Going to heaven. But somebody has to be right and someone has to be wrong. And we ought to study the Bible correctly. And that's the wonderful thing about being able to go to school and spend so much time with great uh, learned professors. You'll learn so very, very much. I want you to open your Bible to Ephesians 5.18. And we want to look at a word, and then we're going to start to study that uh, passage a little bit. 
together in Ephesians 5.18 is a wonderful passage for us to get started. Now, let me ask you a question before we get rolling here. How many people are here tonight that haven't ever been here before? You folks, God bless you. Thank you for coming. Jeannie? Shame on you, Jeannie. <laughs> is your, this isn't your first night. It is? What well, kind of you? Okay, wonderful. Well, we have three, four people. It's, wonderful. it's good to have you, I'll tell you that. We're, we're thrilled to death to have you come. Nice to have you people. Now, what we're doing, we're studying the Holy Spirit. Tonight will be the last night. What's the problem? Oh, okay. Very good. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, so we want to get a, a right fix and a right handle on the Holy Spirit, what He does and who He is. We have to remember this. Now you tell me, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is it? Third person of the Trinity. So what does that make Him? It makes Him God. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when we have that fixation and understand where we stand in that, we realize that the Holy Spirit is as much God as God is God. From the standpoint that we learn studying the doctrine of God, that we can't separate it. Now, in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is excess, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not it. Doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say in our wonderful Bible to be filled with it. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, in Greek grammar, we have some laws and rules that help us an awful lot here. In the Greek grammar, there are four grammatical rules which lead us to four great truths in relative to the subject of the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. The verb is in the imperative mode. Now, I know something. I studied Greek for four years. I know you don't even know what that means. And you want to know something? Man, it was a day I didn't know what that meant I used to go home and say to my wife, can you help me with this Greek? I'm just having terrible, terrible trouble. The only reason she could help me, she was a great English student. Can't learn foreign languages if you aren't a good English student. You need the help of the English to help you to get into the foreign language. She could help me with Greek and she knew English. Now, what does this mean? What the verb is telling us is this, it's imperative. That's an imperative mode in the Greek grammar. That says it is an imperative command. It's a command of God that we be filled with the Spirit. First of all, because He commands us. And secondly, because the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit is the enablement in the life of a Christian to live a successful life. I cannot be successful for Christ until I am first filled with the Spirit. Now, how do I get filled with the Spirit? That's what we're going to learn tonight. People say, well, you have to have a second work of grace. I know there's a lot of things. I know D.L. Moody is a man we talk about all the time. He's D.L. Moody. 
uh, was so overcome one day by God in the, uh, New York City that he cried out to God, please withdraw yourself from me. I, I'll, I'll die if you don't withdraw yourself from me. How did, why did that happen to D.L.? Well, we're going to learn that. Now, secondly, the tense of the verb is in the present tense. Present tense. That means something that happened now, but is going on continuously. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, there's a segment of our, our spiritual world who are going to have a trouble with that. Because they say, no, it's a one-time thing. You get filled with the Spirit right now. He can, And you get slain in the Spirit. You know what that is? That's when it touch on the head and you fall back. However, isn't it strange that the book that God gave us, dictated through the Holy Spirit to men of old, doesn't say that? That's not what the Bible says. Present tense. A verb meaning that the action is something that started and is going on and on and on. Like marching soldiers going past your house. And it continues to go on. Now, the mechanics of the Greek grammar, when it comes to the filling of the Spirit, do not provide for a spasmatic one-time filling. It is not in the Greek grammar. And why is that important? Because the Greek grammar is what we're controlled by. That happened to be the language God chose to bring his Bible into this world. The New Testament was written in Korean Greek, the Greek of the people of the day of Christ. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew, the language of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, before the time of Christ. That is, before his incarnation. He always was, but before his incarnation. We had the Jewish nation. I remember I told you last week that before Abraham, before Abraham was, there were no Jews on the face of the earth. Abraham was the first Jew. God made him a Jew. What was God's command to Abraham? Be circumcised. And I'll make you a great nation and a great people. And from that moment on, Abraham was the leader of the Jewish nation. And all Jews who have come into the world since that time. Plus, if I may suggest, when Abraham married the second time, I think when he married the Terah, saying it's in the Genesis, she happened to be an Arab. And he had quite a few children with her, I can't remember exactly, nine or something, I think. Which means, Abraham not only is the father of the Jewish nation, he is the father of the Arab nation. Because the Arabs say he's our father. Understand? And both of them are correct, biblically. Because his second wife was Aaron. Alright, now let's continue on. There is something here in this imperative mode. It's imperative that we feel. It's imperative that it goes on, an action that goes on. But a Christian living a normal moment by moment, yielding to Christ, will have a moment by moment fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, question. The man sitting down here. And uh, 
Jim Red's father, James, those two men, when they came to Christ, they're both of very recently. Those two men received the Holy Spirit. But they received all of the Holy Spirit that they're ever going to get. Now how do we get filled with the Spirit? And the Bible teaches us that the filling of the Spirit comes to us through what is known then as a yieldness to God. Now, number three. The verb is in the plural number. What's the plural number mean? Well, it means that if not only the Holy Spirit isn't only given to the preachers and to the deacons, it's given to a large, vast number of people. In other words, the Holy Spirit is given to all of us. And the Greek text brings that up. Then it says, it's in the passive voice. I like that word awesome. It can only be used of God. I have a friend of mine. <laughs> Everything in the world is awesome. His boat, his car, his house, his lawn, his grass grown. Everything's awesome. And I keep thinking to myself, man, I wish you would bury that word unless you're going to use it about God. There's only one person awesome. That's God. God's the only one who's awesome. Everything else is beautiful and wonderful, but not awesome. But you see, in this passive voice, it, re it represents the subject of the sentence, the Holy Spirit, as being acted upon by the verb, filled, which means that the one doing the filling in my life is not the Holy Spirit himself, because it is being acted upon, meaning God uses the Holy Spirit as an agent of his to fill us with the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit by God. He gave it to me. And when we get down to toward the end of this lesson tonight, we're going to see what the Bible teaches us about that. So, when we talk about this wonderful thing of being filled with the Spirit, we learn it doesn't come from man. Man doesn't do it. Folks, listen. When they call you up on the platform and they tell you we're going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, no, they're not. Only God does that. Not man. So we have to realize. That's where the awesomeness comes in. That we have part of the Godhead filling us with the other part of the Godhead. Now, we ask the question as we progress through all this. Why is God so intent that we be filled with the John the seventh chapter talks about a simple desire that turn to John the seventh chapter. John the seventh chapter. Verses uh, 37 and 39. Now look what's good. 7. 37 and 39. Okay. In the last days, now that last days talked about there in your in your passage in verse uh, 37. That's referring to a feast that's in Leviticus, I think it's about the uh, 
23rd chapter. The chapter that last thing is referring to it's referring to a feast that's in the Old Testament, Leviticus. In the last days, that great day of feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man thirst, now if any man, now I want you to get the wording all the way through the Bible. It doesn't say, if sweet Davis, who's working for me and loves me, no, any man, any Christian, if any Christian thirsts, has a hunger for God, let him come unto me and do what? What's it say? Drink. Let him come and drink. Drink what? You know what he's talking about? The Holy Spirit. Alright, let's go on. Verse 30. He that believeth on me. Uh oh, now wait, but let's stop there now. There's going to be a condition for this filling. What is the condition? He that believeth on me. Now, it isn't someone who joins a church, and it isn't someone who belongs to a particular group, and it isn't someone who just happens to want something that somebody else has. It's someone who believes on me prerequisite. You can't have the Spirit unless you first have God. They don't come separately. Alright. Let's continue on. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Holy Spirit. But this spoke he of the Spirit. Hey, verse 39 backs up what I'm saying. The Lord bailed me out, verse 39. For he says of this, he spoke because he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom they that believe on him. Don't miss the wording. He that believe, they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because the Lord had not yet been glorified. Now, when he went away, we're going to get into that in a minute. How he told them how they could have the Holy Spirit. Now we're boiling it down, aren't we? Everything in the Bible talks about the fact they and he and we can have the Holy Spirit. Now, when we get into the study, James in James 4 5 tells us, gives us the reason or why we can have the Spirit. James in, in, in chapter 4 says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain? Now, as you read that passage, continue. It says, And the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth. The Holy Spirit lusts to envy. Now, the word lust is no longer a pliable English word. Oh, you can look in your dictionary and it's going to be there. But it's not a word that's used anymore uh, very much because we use the word. Uh, in these uh, desire or earnestly desire. So the word earnestly desire has taken the place of the word lust. Lust is an obsolete word in the English language. Did you know that? You know we really don't use it that much anymore. Eventually, one day, if it isn't already, it may be dropped in the dictionary. Because what we're using today now, we're using a word that conveys more the message: the fact that the Holy Spirit earnestly desires what. 
does the Holy Spirit desire? He desires a permanent abode within the life of a Christian. Now, I say once in a while, and I get in trouble over it, because I'm gifted to get into trouble. I always say that the Holy, that God, that God doesn't want my sacrifices. People bristle at that. And I tell them, God would rather have me than my sacrifice. Understand that term? What do they mean, brother? Huh? Exactly. He doesn't want me giving him things. If he doesn't have me, I'm not his. So first of all, God wants me to be his child. He doesn't want my sacrifice, and he wants me. Because if he has me, then what is he going to have? Everything. Because I'm going to see to it, I give it to him. Huh? All right. English word. No good. Now, in Galatians, we find in Galatians in 5, chapter 5, that a constant desire of the filling renders a fallen nature as sinful. So in other words, without Christian crying for a filling, if we don't cry for a filling, and we don't have the desire for it, then to us it is sinful. So God says that without obeying Ephesians 5.18, we who are Christians without a feeling or a, a constant growth in the Holy Spirit, we are committing daily a sin in our life. Now, how do we get it? What are we talking about here now? The, the radical or the spirit who has taken up his final abode in us is jealous unto envy. Because he wants the whole of us. He wants all of us. The whole thing. The Spirit desires the whole of us. The Spirit in me puts down the evil nature in me. See, the Bible says shun. Anybody finish that? Shun what? What are we supposed to shun? Anybody? Dorothy? Huh? Shun the very appearance of evil. Shun the appearance of evil. Now, that raises a question. As a Christian, are there certain places I should go? Are there certain places I should not go? Are there places I wouldn't want other people to see me yet? For fear it would be. Now, I don't go to movies. I just, I don't go, I don't go to movies. But the movie came to town and I wanted to see it because I've read his books and I was interested in one of the greatest theologians and greatest minds we've ever had. I think he was knighted by the Queen of England and that's, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name, Lon? Uh, huh? C.S. Lewis. And I want to see the life of C.S. Lewis. Because I have his books and I've studied him and he's brilliant. One of, one of our most brilliant people that we've ever had in the Christian world. A wonderful Christian man. And I wanted to go. 
And you know, I'm standing there in line, and I'm not thinking much about it. I'm going in because I'm going in. Uh, I, my mind is absolutely pure. I'm thinking of what this man is going to show me about spiritual things. And of course, you want something to get you in there with the movie. And I like to die. And I try to say I don't. But I'm in line. <laughs> now, how do you tell them I don't go to movies when I'm at the theater and I'm in line? <laughs> Well, you want to know something? The person I was talking to wouldn't know C.S. Lewis from the law. So I just said, well, uh, I'm here to see something that's important to me in my spiritual life. I'm here to see the life of C.S. Lewis. Uh, do you know the gentleman? No. And that answered it all for me. Because I did know. And I have his books in my library. In fact, you have a hard time. You have to get an interpreter to help you to read them. Find out what he's talking about. Because he... He was a professor at Oxford and, and, and Cambridge. Brilliant Christian, born again, strong, solid man. Now, the Holy Spirit wants all of us. And the yieldness and dependence upon the Holy Spirit results in the Spirit putting down an evil nature in our lives. If I want to be an overcomer, I need more of the Holy Spirit. Now, D.L. Moody, let's go back to him. I don't know if there are many of you know of D.L. Moody. I don't know if you know him or not. But D.L. Moody was a great man, shoe salesman, stutter, sold shoes. And he felt the call to the ministry. But he said, Lord, I can't, I can't preach because I can't talk. It did that, did that, did that, did that. Preached the same sermon four times. Somebody told him to put marbles in your mouth. Or stones. He came before the mirror with marbles and stones in your mouth. And talk through those and you'll learn to talk. And he did. You learn to talk wonderfully. You know something about that man? Listen, when he went into a factory, people inside that factory would fall down on their knees and cry out to him, Mr. Moody, win me to Jesus Christ, or I'll die a pagan and go to hell. Please, while you're here, win me to the Lord. Because of the Holy Spirit in that man's life. You know who turned him around? D.L. Moody made a trip to Europe one time to meet a guy by the name of Mueller. And you ever hear Mueller? Anybody here ever hear of George Mueller? George Mueller was a man that took all the little kids off the streets in Bristol, England, and in parts of England, and he started. He is the first man in the world to establish orphanages. And the, the government said, "Well, you can't feed them, but we'll let them. We can't feed them either. So we don't care if they die or don't die. We don't care. Go ahead and take them." Now Mueller had no backing, not a penny. The government didn't even want him to take the kids. Let them die. And he said, no, I will not do that. And you know what George Mueller would do? He called call the kids to the dinner table, set them down in their orphanage, stand up and pray, and say, now, Lord, it's just about dinner time. There isn't an ounce of food in the kitchen, and there's nothing on the table. Now, we're going to sit down here and have grace, and if you want to ruin the faith of these kids, that's your business. But by the time I get through with my prayer, I expect to see some food on that table. You know, he boasted that they never, never, never 
He stood up and preached. He was so excited. The Holy Spirit convicted 3,000 people and they came to Christ and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no man there filling them. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. There's no being slain in the Spirit. There's a yielding to Jesus Christ day by day. How do I yield to my God? By reading His Bible and praying and having faith in God. Now, how do we get this? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Luke 11 says we pray for Jesus taught His disciples that they might receive the Spirit through prayer to the Father. I can pray to God and ask for the Holy Spirit. John 14 says, the Lord said in this close of His ministry, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send you along a parakletos. Greek word. I'm going to send you a comforter. The word means comforter. Para. Para in the Greek. I didn't have the Greek word. Para in the Greek means alongside of. And it's a heavy participle used in the New Testament. Because God is telling us that He sends things our way. Para, alongside us. So He told them, I'm going to send alongside to you the Comforter. And when the Comforter comes, and then also He said, I will pray the Father. He told him, you pray, and I'll pray the Holy Spirit or the Comforter to come upon you for your ministry. The evening of his resurrection, he came to the disciples in the upper room, and the Bible says he breathed in John 20, John 20, he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. He's God. He's God. In the Garden of Eden, what did God do to Adam? He breathed the Spirit of life into him. He had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And he's praying here. Then he says to him in Luke, wait. Don't go into the ministry. Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then he tells us you can do it by hand. Like laying on the hand. Now I want you to study something because we're going to close here in a minute. Turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. One of the most exciting chapters in all your Bible. 10th chapter of the book of Acts. One of the most exciting passages in all of the Bible. Acts, the 10th chapter. And I'll tell you, I love this passage of Scripture. I, I've taught it all my life, and I love it. And it's a great, one of the greatest passages in the Bible, if a man can say that. But I'll tell you, it is wonderful. Now, in Acts, the 10th chapter, Peter has a vision. Now, verse 9. On the next day, as they went to their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. In other words, he's being called. He's being called for kneeling to his house. Now, while he was up there on the rooftop praying, the Lord set down a canopy full of food. All kinds of food. In which, verse 12, in which all manner of four-footed beasts and of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him and said, Peter, 
Rise up, slay and eat. And Peter said, No, Lord, not so. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Oh, boy. I'll tell you, he wished he had never said Continue on. And the voice spoke unto him a second time, and he said, What God has cleansed, don't you ever call unclean. What's the story? What's he saying? He's giving Peter an object lesson. Peter is what in this nationality? What nationality is Peter? Huh? Jewish. He's Jew. He's a Jew. Now, what he's going to be done, he's going to be called in this same chapter to Cornelius' house. What nationality was Cornelius? Gentile. Gentile. What's the problem? Jews. Never. Never. Never entered the house of a Gentile. Never. What's God doing here? He's trying to teach you that what I have decided to save and bring into my family, don't you tell me it's unclean. Now, you would go over into the rest of the 10th chapter, and he goes to Cornelius' house. And he said, uh, this is unusual because this isn't something I could do. You know, I'm a Jew, and I, I shouldn't be here. Uh, I could be ostracized, and I could be thrown out of the synagogue, and I really shouldn't be in your house. And Cornelius said, but I'm a Christian. I wonder how he ever became a Christian. And he said, I have all my family, and all my friends, all my servants, and all my neighbors here. And I want you to preach the gospel. You see, the object lesson over here was teaching Peter that now salvation is open to the Gentiles. And Peter preached, and they all got saved, and preached, he said, now, verse 44, and Peter yet spoke these words, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Fell on who? All of those people there. The Holy Spirit fell on all of them. Not a part of them. All of them. Who heard the word. And they were all uh, of the, and they of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Now the Jews were all astonished. Hey man, what's going on here? Oh, what's he doing here? He can't do that. How many times do you find the church and we tell everybody we can't do that? You know something? If we would learn one thing, we can do it. If we would just learn to say, yes, we can do it, our church would grow faster than you could possibly come with someone in the door. Quit saying we can't. Start saying we can because here, they said, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look right. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit fell down on those new converts. And Peter said, I have observed that the Holy Spirit is not a respecter of persons. Whoever believes can be saved and filled with the Spirit of God. That's what, he, that's what the 10th chapter is about. The 10th chapter of the book of Acts is the portion of the Bible that shows the pinpoints the date and the hour when Gentiles came to salvation in Jesus. And do you know something? If you're a Gentile sitting here in front of me and most of you are, you are here because of what happened in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. Isn't it marvelous? Don't you ever get excited about this book? Man, I'm telling you, it thrills me. It absolutely thrills me. What you can read and study as you study these things, it's a marvelous thing. John 20, Luke, 
Pentecost. Luke said, wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Now at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit placed us into the family of God. We are not baptized into the family of God. That is a wrong word. I told you that last week. We brought that up. We're not baptized into the Spirit of God, into the family of God. We are placed. The word baptized in English and in the Greek means to place into. Place into. Now, baptized is not an English word. It is a Greek word. So when the translators translated and tried to figure out what was going on in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1237 or twenty-seven. They use the word baptized. It means water. No way. No way. It's a wrong word. It's a wrong translation. Because the Holy Spirit, His function is to place you and me into the family of God. Then we're exhorted as we're in that family of God to continually be filled with the Spirit. How do I do that? By constantly yielding my life every day. How do I do that? By a study of the Word of God. Someday, I'm going to teach you the difference between inspiration and revelation. I'm going to show you two words in the Bible that absolutely demand you read the Bible or you're going to be in trouble. You don't know they're there, do you? Two words. And they're there. And God commands that we read that Bible and abide in Him so He can abide in us. And that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit by our yielding our members. Now, the Bible says, quench not the Spirit. It's by His Spirit. By His Spirit, we belong to His body. It is by His filling our body belongs. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit I have. Get this now. It's not how much of the Spirit I have. It's how much of me does the Holy Spirit have. That's tidy. Tidy, huh? Wonderful. Well, we're getting down on time here, but uh, I just want to remember now. We're told we're told in the Bible. We are told in the Bible not to quench the Spirit. And then uh, number 19, uh, 518, it says continue to be filled. Romans tells us to yield. Romans tells us to present. First Thessalonians tells us <laughs> that we are to abstain. Now, in our yielding to Christ, there is the Holy Spirit. And the yielding our bodies, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. Then we have to abstain from everything that's evil. Now, folks, there's things out there we should not be entangled with. Pastor was trying to get to it this morning with us. There's a deeper life for us. And it's wonderful for us to know we're walking with a thing of God. Well, First Corinthians talking about tongues. Some people say you're not saved if you're talking tongues. Well, all through the Bible, the word used for tongues, there's three or four different words, and a lot of them mean uh, tribe or, or dialect, uh, language. Uh, but the most important thing is this. When you look in your Bible to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, there's one important verse you want to go over. 
it tells us that tongues will speak. In other words, those tongues spoken of in the early days of the early church are done away with. They're not needed today. If any church ever needed help, it was the Corinthian church. Now we're getting to where we need a lot of help, but it's not going to be that help. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is a progression, a day-by-day surrender, a day-by-day of reading the Bible, a day-by-day growing in the graces of God. And that's what the filling of the Spirit means. And that's what we're after in our lives. We want to do that. Uh, we've, got, we've got to close. Uh, uh, I just want to say one little thing before I stop. You, you, uh, I've hit a little problem, and it's not anything serious. And I talked to Pastor, and uh, uh, I don't I don't want to say that I'm not going to, that I want to give up the class. I don't want to say that. Oh, Pastor, here's this. Because uh, I, I'm, I have enough faith to believe in my family around me to help me to, we, we can get through this. I just got badgered this week with a couple doctors, and I went home kind of beat down, and I apologized to my wife being beat down, but I had one guy, uh, if you don't mind me, one, one man put my feet up and gave me drawing diagrams on my legs for how they're going to cut my legs off if uh, they can't get blood down there. And I just tagged him on the clothes of them. I don't like that. Uh, I really don't like that. I don't, I don't want to do that. And uh, he said, well, I have to be honest with you. I said, no, you don't. I said, I don't want to do it. First of all, you're not going to take my legs off. And nobody else is. I came with two of them leaving with me. And so I said, uh, thanks to my wonderful family, my son who worked so hard for me on the internet, got me 100,000 questions answered, and my wonderful wife who uh, kind of keeps me under control, my daughter-in-law who prays for uh, a wayward <laughs> father-in-law. Uh, I, I always try to tell my family, I, I don't mean to let down in front of you, but you know, when you go to a doctor and he starts telling you how he's going to cut your leg off, he kind of shakes you a little bit. He's going home trying to figure out, did you still have that leg? You wonder, did he do it while I was there? <laughs> but everything's fine, everything's good, and I'm going to come out of this. And uh, the one thing I don't really want to do, and I hope Pastor will but you know, I feel sorry. Pastor Dodson has been the best friend that this man has ever had in the church. I'm going to tell you something. He has been my best friend. I had to drop off. Last year, a year ago, this time, last year ago, this date, I was just, wait a minute, today's the 18th? A year ago, today I was operated on. I was off three months. He let me have my class back. Now I'm asking him if you'll consider doing it again. <laughs> because I don't want to give up. I think uh, they're telling me that for the first couple weeks, six weeks, or maybe the first couple months, I might have a little trouble. But I, I don't want to back out. I, 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 I want to stay... And I want to keep this class. I want to keep it going. And I want to help. You know what? I'm excited about what I see my pastor doing. And I want to help this church to grow if I can. If I can be any help in any way, I want to do that. And I'm thankful to Pastor Dodson and to Virginia Dodson because both of them have been exceptionally nice to me. But uh, I went home a little shaken this week. And uh, I confess it to you. That's your little Bible piece that we get down to. Uh, but I got mad, too. Uh, oh, yeah, I got mad. I just told one doctor, don't do that. I don't do it. He's kneeling down, drawing diagrams on my knee. I don't, don't do that. I don't like that. <laughs> he didn't like it either. <laughs> but I just told him, that's foolishness. I don't want to do it anymore. So I, I think, I think I'm going to be in great shape. 
my problem is this, I can't get, they're not getting any blood down to the bottom of my feet. And uh, I think there's a hundred thousand ways I can get blood down. And I'm going to do it. No big problem. Uh, I have faith in it. I'm, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start, uh, you know what they told me? The internet told me. My son got it on the internet. You know what the doctor told me Thursday? Put a ladder up in your garage. And, and get, if you have to get a big one, I want you to walk a ladder 50 times, three, four times, five times a day. I said, gee, I, can do, I used to do that all the time. He said, go back to it. Then he said, walk on stairs. Now, I said, I'm not talking about high hills. I'm saying stairs. I want you to get a staircase. Walk up and down, walk up and down, walk up and down. So, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what to do. But uh, I, I'm convinced that I'm in great shape. shape I'm in. <laughs> well, God bless you. I had a good class tonight. But uh, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that Pastor will give me one more go around. <laughs> Well, 